Good morning, everybody. It's uh, Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is our first weekly and economic market commentary of 2022. Thank you for giving me a couple of weeks off. I enjoyed a uh, holiday vacation with family in Hawaii, which included my 30th wedding anniversary, which we had a great time. We were married on New Year's Eve in 1991. Uh, this commentary is available to you uh, once a week. If you want to follow my musings more frequently, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Herb Morgan, or on the Twitter at ETF underscore strategist.com. Of course, this is available by subscription. If you're looking at this, you know, you can see all the slides and graphs as I talk about them. But if you don't have the time for that, you prefer to look, uh, just listen. You can get us as a podcast, Slaying Bulls and Bears. We like to make the complex and complicated simple and sensical. So some disclosures, this is prepared by me for use with you, whether you are a financial advisor or an investor. Nothing contained in this presentation is investment advice. It should not be treated as such. There are no recommendations for the purchase of any securities, or the sale of any securities. Everything is provided to you for informational purposes only and it's accuracy adequacy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Okay, we made the legal team happy and we move on year to date. This is all of 2021 now. Uh, the S&P 500 returned about 29%, nothing short of miraculous given the state of the economy, beginning of the year, the, the concern over whether or not there'd be a vaccine for this, this novel coronavirus, this COVID-19 and the different mutations, when it would be approved, when it would be available. Nonetheless, uh, because of mainly because of central bank support and because of the reopening of previously shuttered aspects of the economy, stocks just had a tremendous year last year. The only exception being emerging markets, uh, primarily China, Turkey, and some others struggling uh, under some debt and inflationary issues in the case of Turkey. Uh, speaking of inflation, we're dealing with that here. And if you look at the performance of various fixed income or bond indices last year, the aggregate bond index, the, the Lehman Ag, as it used to be called, now it's called the Barclays Ag, or the Bloomberg Barclays Ag, was down 1.5%. But if inflation ran 5, you really lost about 6.5% of your purchasing power if you were exclusively invested in bonds last year. So it was a very rough year for bonds. I'm not expecting much better for bonds this year, quite frankly, although I do hope that inflation will ebb uh, particularly in the second half of this year, after we've raised interest rates and ceased the central bank buying, particularly here in the U.S. So it was a rough year for fixed income. Fortunately, we were by target underweight fixed income all year. So that was a good call. And we were overweight equity, which obviously had tremendous returns last year in our portfolios. That turned out to be a really good call. Let's get into some of the economic data that you may have missed the last two weeks while I was gone. Third quarter GDP is where we'll start. Third quarter GDP was revised higher from 2.1 to 2.3. The even better news in that revision, you can see it there on the right, uh, was that it was driven by personal consumption. That's a, as opposed to say government spending or a change in the trade balance, all of which can add to GDP, but some adds to GDP are better. They're not all created equal. And we like it to see, we like it to be organic. We like to see it coming from the consumer voluntarily purchasing goods and services of their own free will and volition as opposed to say government spending because of a war 
or because of a project that's designed to stimulate the economy out of recession. We're nowhere near a recession, which is really quite good news. But what we are seeing due to the, the reopening, the supply chain, and the massive monetary stimulus is we've created inflation. As Milton Friedman, my favorite economist, famously quipped, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. When bottom line is when you create more of something, it decreases in value. We have created more money. It has therefore decreased in value, which another way to say that is we have inflation. Prices are going up. You can say that, or you can just say the value of money is going down. It's, they're, they're identical and they represent the same thing. November price index, the core, the core PCE index is up 4.7% year over year. That's the red, the headline number even higher, 5.7% year over year. The Fed has a statutory mandate given to them by Congress to maintain price stability. And there's no other way to put this. They have failed. Back here, when we were approaching three, and they said, well, we might get a little above three. That'll make up for all the time. We, we were below two, right? We were below two a lot. And that was by, you know, our, our always raising rates early. Well, here, we still haven't increased rates. And we likely won't until March at this point. Uh, they have let inflation get out of control, and you all see it. Their hope is that some of this will self-correct as the supply chain works itself out. Uh, but much of that becomes entrenched in our expectations. And if expectations are higher for inflation, it becomes very difficult for the Fed to put those expectations away and change people's views, which can really be a big driver of inflation itself. We got reports from both Michigan and the Conference Board. This is the Conference Board's report on consumer confidence. Rose from about 112 to about 116 last month. Still well below where we were back in 18 and 19, all prior to the COVID pandemic. Um, we had much higher consumer confidence. People weren't as concerned about inflation. We had uh, real wage growth without inflation, which was very significant. Uh, and unfortunately, still being kept low due to fears of inflation. Same thing from the University of Michigan. It was up for the month, but still well below prior levels. Even though expectations are getting better, current conditions are getting better, uh, they're really just better than the last month, which was pretty horrible. And overall, much below where we were in a period of high growth, low inflation. Now we have high growth, high inflation, and you have to stop that inflation by law Federal Reserve, and they're going to do that. They're going to do that by raising interest rates, which will slow down the rate of economic growth. Weekly claims for unemployment show that the economy is at full employment and the Fed is meeting its mandate for full employment. I always say if the number is below 300,000, it's a healthy, strong labor market near full employment, most likely, or trending that way. When you get below 200,000, you have a very hot labor market, and we're there. We got to 198,000 last week. We're expected to be even lower this week. Continuing claims at a very low and healthy level too. So the Fed really at this point can no longer argue. They do have one argument. They say, well, there's fewer people employed today than prior to the pandemic. Um, but you can't, you can't blame that on, you can't say there's high unemployment. This is people voluntarily not being counted in the labor force. Uh, it may be reasons, uh, childcare, COVID, 
getting income from another source, gig economy, uh, fear of being out in public, uh, number of reasons. There are fewer people actually working, but the unemployment rate is very low. Weekly claims are very low. Demand for labor is extremely high, and the Fed can really no longer ignore that and must raise interest rates. Okay, we got some data on real estate, both existing and new home sales. November existing home sales rose to a pace of about six and a half million, getting close to those all-time highs here of mid-2020. I think there's going to be a continued surge in buying here before the expected rate hikes in March. Uh, you can see the same thing happening with new home sales, a nice little spike last month, not back to the you know, 744,000 for November, not quite back to that near million dollar annualized new home rate uh, that we ha we were at again mid 2020. But I expect a spike here for the next few months, <clears throat> again, ahead of higher interest rates. That doesn't mean high interest rates. It means higher than where they are today. They're still going to be incredibly low by historic standards. Okay, personal income and spending for the month of November, uh, income rose four-tenths, spending rose six-tenths, showing just how strong the consumer is. They're making more money from their jobs, from their rents, from their dividends, from their interest, all the ways that people make money, and they are spending it because they are uh, flush with cash. One of the things that inflation does is it often pulls spending forward, meaning people say, well, why, don't, why put off a purchase if it's just going to cost me another 5% more next year, I'm going to go ahead and make that purchase now. One of the byproducts of, uh, of an inflationary policy stance, which is clearly what our central bank, the Federal Reserve Bank, has. It has an inflationary stance. Speaking of inflation, I just thought it was funny to show you this graph. Now, I tell everybody, half of you listening are probably Republicans, and the other half are probably Democrats, and maybe there's 10% of you that are neither or independent or in between or further right or further left, and that's okay. But I always tell everybody, regardless of your politics, to keep your politics out of your portfolio. And that's the same thing as saying you've got to think and invest long term. Because political cycles are very short and investment cycles are very long. Um, you know, typically, you know, you get a new president and he or she may have a majority of their party in the House and, and Senate. But that may only last two years, and they, you can't get a whole lot of policy that changes done in two years. So it's interesting now that the views, the expected year ahead inflation rate, Republicans now view expected year ahead at 6.8%, and Democrats are viewing it at about three. That's a difference of almost 400 basis points. That's the highest gap I have, uh, I have ever seen as far as I've looked at it. But enough of that. Let's talk about this year, and let's talk about our positioning. As you know, as I said earlier, we are, we're underweight bonds. I think the real return on bonds will be negative again this year. We are overweight cash because we're looking for something to invest in, just a little bit overweight cash. And we're overweight equities because equities have been the only game in town, or as we've was very popular saying last year, TINA, T-I-N-A. There is no alternative. That's where you went because... There was uh, liquidity that drove prices higher. There was the reopening trade. There was the pent-up demand. Earnings were phenomenal. And I expect a lot of that to continue this year. And so we are still overweight stocks. But we're overweight stocks because we're, we compare it to something. You always have to say compared to what? What are the alternatives? 
Right now, there still are no real alternatives to owning stocks. As such, though, they've gotten expensive. The estimated forward P.E. ratio is 23. That's on earnings that haven't happened yet. Book, price to book is almost five. The price to estimated EBITDA, or cash flow, is at about 14. These are all high numbers by historic standards. Let's look at the graphs of all four, starting with P.E. Current P.E., we're at 26 times earnings. Now it's down from 30 you know earlier but still much higher than we've been over the last decade same on the estimated that's the white the estimated PE based on this year's earnings now if earnings come in much better than the consensus estimate which they probably will maybe we're really trading only at 18 or 19 times this year's earnings estimates if they come in worse than expected we're trading higher so the white line is always with a little grain of salt and quite frankly so is the blue line because we're buying based on a number that either already happened is less relevant or is maybe going to happen is therefore less relevant. So somewhere in between, regardless, stocks are expensive by this measure. There are other measures. Let's take a look at price to book ratio. That's the green. The book value, that's the assets of the company minus the liabilities. S&P 500 companies get a multiple of five times their balance sheet. So if the balance sheet shows a net worth of a million dollars, the company's worth $5 million because of its earning capacity, its future earning capacity, its future dividend paying capabilities, et cetera. Uh, but what about tangible book value when you back out things like goodwill, which really, are, you can't liquidate and sell a goodwill the way you can liquidate and sell a factory or a building or a piece of land or some inventories, right? 15 times earnings, these are expensive. Let's move on. Let's take a look at price to estimated cash flow or EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. A decade ago, we were paying six or seven times. Today, we're trading at 14 times. Stocks are not cheap. Therefore, I think we have susceptibility this year to drawdowns, 5%, 10% for sure, maybe even a bigger drawdown some point during the year. It's not like there's an alternative. So I'm not suggesting we sell. I'm suggesting we look for opportunities to invest that little extra cash we have when and if they happen. Because the companies are great, the earnings are great, but if there's a policy mistake or geopolitical events or anything that might spook the markets, given how lofty they are, it could result in buying opportunities. I always tell investors too, there's nothing wrong with accumulating a little cash waiting for things to happen and you never go broke paying off your debt. I know interest rates are at an all time low, but sometimes it's not a bad idea to say, I had a great year, you know what? I'm gonna knock a little chunk off my mortgage or this debt here or that debt there. Nothing wrong with that from a financial planning and an advice standpoint. The free cash flow yield, which is sort of the inverse of that uh, price to cash flow, right? The yield you take the yield of the cash divided by the price of the S&P 500, roughly 4,800 on the S&P, it's all the way down to about 3.3%. Again, meaning stocks are expensive. But why are they expensive? Well, I mentioned there's no alternative. Interest rates are so low. The Federal Reserve has been pumping money and liquidity into the system. That money finds its way into asset prices, whether it's real estate or stocks or bonds, et cetera. But something else is starting to happen here. There may be an alternative at some point. There may be another game in town. And that is maybe someday bonds. 
It's just not today. It's like the country restaurant song that says everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Well, that's uh, everybody wants to own bonds, but nobody wants to own them now. Okay, bonds are very safe. They're very secure. But as interest rates go higher, which is this, this graph of the 10-year U.S. Treasury shows them doing, we're at 160 today on the 10-year, but we're up from 0.5 18 months ago. 0.5 to 1.6, that's more than a triple in interest rates. So I've drawn this red line and this white line to show what I think is going to be the, the trend higher, up and down, but within an upward trend. And I think if we go out a year or so, it's not impossible to see two, two and a half, even as much as three, because we were, heck, we were there in 2018. Strong economy, self-regulating me mechanism of that strong economy, those higher rates, and then suddenly bonds do represent an alternative. They just don't yet, is my view. So I wanna take my time. I wanna be very, very slow about any cash raising or cash getting on the sidelines. I wanna watch the technicals of the market here. Even though it's expensive, heck, we just had another new all-time high in the last week of the year while we were all on vacation. That's kind of my thoughts for 2022. I do believe we're going to see interest rates go up for sure. Fed's going to finish its bond buying program uh, in March. And then I'm going to bring this in here for a second. This is uh, world interest rate probabilities. You can see here, I'm looking at this one. 62% chance of a rate hike uh, here in the U.S. Uh, uh, by the March 16th meeting. Very low probability, but a positive one of the January meeting, I, I don't think they do it. I think they should, I don't think they will. I think it's almost guaranteed, you know, theoretically uh, in my view that we get that in, um, in March. This week, we've got plenty of economic data. We've got the market, US manufacturing index came in strong this morning, met expectations. Construction spending did as well. ISM manufacturing tomorrow along with job openings, but that's all the way back to November, 11 million. Services from Marquette on Wednesday, along with the ADP report, expecting 400,000 new jobs. Weekly jobs claims again below 200. Fed, act, Fed, do your job. ISM services, 67, which is booming. Durable goods at two and a half. And then the big Bureau of Labor Statistics government jobs report on Friday, expecting 424,000 jobs and an unemployment rate to kick down uh, from 4.2 down to 4.1. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget, get the podcast, thumbs up, like, tell a friend, retweet it, send it out there. We need to get more listeners. We always appreciate that. And thank you for your tuning in. Thank you for your business.